Welcome back to another episode of Dentistry's Growing with Grace podcast. Join Grace and her guest of the week as they discuss lessons learned in the industry and explore unique insights into ethical growth. Hello and welcome back to Dentistry's Growing with Grace. I have a great guest here with me today, Maritza Duran, and I'm so excited to tell all my friends and followers about Maritza, what she does, um, her background in dentistry. It's, this is someone that you, you have to know and you've got to know what she does because we're going to share some great information with you today. And this is stuff that is going to help you grow. So Maritza, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, Grace, for having me. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. So, so tell me a little bit about your background and what has led you to starting your company, MDent Consulting. So my history in dentistry, it's a very interesting one because I started working at the age of 16. I was working at a supermarket when, um, and there was a dental assistant school right next to the supermarket where I worked as a cashier and then they promoted me to bookkeeper. And one of my coworkers uh, was uh, going to school at the uh, dental assistant school. This is in Queens, New York. And so she tells me one day, you know, the dentist that I'm working for is looking for someone um, to help me wash instruments and take x-rays. And so when she told me that, I said, sure, you know, like I was living on my own um, since a very young age. And I figured this will be a great opportunity for me to just see what else I can do besides um, uh, working in the supermarket. So I showed up. Um, typical th things that dentists do when they're first getting started. He was a young dentist, very ambitious, but he was, you know, like I showed up to work. Um, I was, I was doing my thing. And, and one thing led to the other five years into me working as a clinical assistant for him. Then he opened his second location. And at that office, then I, I was, he, he gave me the opportunity to become the front desk slash office manager. And that was my school. Um, you know, like that office, we started in 2004 and um, I was like the first uh, employee for that office. I hired the first dental assistant. Okay. And so how old were you when you were basically starting up the second, and this is a startup, right? This was a startup. Yes. In 2004. And, so I and you were running the show. How old were you? I was about, I, I said I was about 1920 when I started, when I started working as an office manager. So I was very young. I was very wow. young, I have to say, yeah. Wow. Okay, so here you are where, where most 19, 20-year-olds 20 year are out like partying and, you know, living, living it up. You're like five years into your career and you're growing this practice. So what were, what were some of the things that the challenges and the, the, I guess those growth moments that you experienced? So one of the things that I, I remember um, my mentor, because I really feel that he was a great mentor. Um, you know, I was young and my first dental assistant uh, was also young. And so we got to the point where we would want to go and hang out and do things together. And I used to live in Queens. This office was in the Bronx. And at the beginning, I didn't drive. So I would take the train and whatnot. And one of the first lessons he taught me was you have to learn how to separate you're her boss now, so you need to learn how to keep your distance. Um, you know, don't, don't get too personal with her going into her house or having sleepovers. And I understood it, you know, like it was very, um, I said, you know, yes, I know that, 
you want to be friends and be comfortable. But I was, I had absolutely no experience on managing other people. It was almost like we were coworkers, but I started to realize, yes, I need to set boundaries. And that was like the very first lesson I learned from him. And, um, and so I started to implement that with our second dental assistant and, you know, 10 years down the line, I, I was managing over 15 staff members and including associate dentists and dental hygienists and everyone. So that was the very first lesson. And it was a challenge at first, but then you build an edge as you know, it comes with experience with the exposure. Absolutely. And there's, there's really no replacement for experience. There really isn't. Um, a lot of the dentists and owners that I'm friends with and that I talk to, I don't think they've learned that they need to have a professional boundary with employees. And, and I know I have questions I'm supposed to be following and I'm notorious for not following my questions. You're good. <laughs> but I think this information is, is important because as business owners and as leaders, as managers, you don't get real true peers in a lot of ways. I've always had an, a really difficult time not being on like the same level as my employees because I, it kind of isolates you. It's, yes. you're, you're kind of, you're giving up something to, yes. to have that role. Yes. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. Why is it I so will important? I you, yeah. right, here's, here's another, another one, uh, uh, another lesson that it's now hurting me uh, as I'm starting my business and this was, you know, that Facebook started, I think they, Facebook was um, created, I think in 2004, right? And um, somewhere around that time. And then all of my employees um, were basically just, you know, like into the social media thing, uh, right? They, they, they embraced it immediately. And, um, and I am the office manager, right? I'm the leader, I'm the role model. So I have policies in place and I'm just like, nope no, I'm not getting into this thing. I'm not doing this social media business. We did a lot of our growth was organic. I used to do a lot of um, guerrilla marketing, going into different offices and referring, you know, like networking with, with people in the community. And that's how we grew our practice. So it was very new at the time. Like we weren't even collecting emails back then. And then we kind of had to jump in and get on with the system as things are, were changing and technology was being introduced to, to dental practices. And still a lot of offices are a little you know, behind, but that was one of the things that, um, that affected me now because I programmed myself to, being, um, to, to not being um, so, I didn't embrace it on time, I should say. And then when Instagram came on board, they're like, oh, you want to follow me? I follow you and I follow you. And I'm like, I am, I'm not following anyone. Like the whole concept of the social media was just like alien to me. And it's because, you know, like I really uh, took this role uh, so seriously that, um, that it kind of like um, somehow in, it, it grew me in one area, but it also affected me in another area that yes. now it's almost like you have to um, embrace and incorporate and, 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 and adjust. Really. Well, and I do want to say, you know, there are times when you can be ahead of your time. I remember I built a program that was ahead of its time. If I would have bought it, if I would have built it 10 years later or eight years later, it would have been a smash hit because 
the, the dental market would have been ready for it. But when I was building it, it was premature. So I think in 2004, it was still premature to be leveraging social media for business growth. I think, you know, all the methods that you used, those community introductions, the referral relationships, all the things that you built, I think were, you know, the best way to go about it at the time. And now social media is so well embraced and it's, it's, definitely beyond critical mass where everyone knows what it is and you can actually use social media to facilitate the guerrilla marketing in a lot of ways and so it's all connected and that's what a lot of people want to isolate these different segments of their marketing and say you know well this person's going to handle our guerrilla marketing this person's going to handle our Mm -hmm. seo this person's going to handle our social media and if they're not connected, you lose a lot of opportunity there. I agree. Um, that's my own marketing tangent. Sorry to, <laughs> sorry to go in no. that direction. So, so how many practices did you build or did you have a part in building ground up before you went, you know, I should, I should probably have a business helping people do this? So with my uh, employer at the time, we built over 13 locations, I would say 15 personally. So what happened, so five years into my office, my main location, um, I, he, uh, he gave me, uh, I call it, this is a funny story because my husband and I always talk about it, a 1995 green Volvo that was like, like ancient, but my role was to help him expand and open offices across New York, New Jersey. And, and that was, and I loved it. I fell in love with it. So I would go into each of these locations and, um, and after around the 15th one, when we did, his vision was to become a DSL and, um, and I helped them throughout the entire process. But once that happened, I said, you know, like I had built a lot of relationships with the associate dentists that were transitioning out of the practices. And I was giving them a lot of tips and a lot of ideas and supporting them a lot. And when I had, and I think you and I had this conversation, I had my, 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 my son, he was one at the time when all of this was happening and I was breastfeeding, I was doing all these things. So there was so much going on. And I said, um, I think that I want to be able to help other dentists that are you, but 20 years ago, you know, because there were so many questions coming in from all the different associates and one in particular, um, was the one that introduced me then to a to the real estate consultant that was helping him with his build out, and that relationship led to me working as a consultant for his firm as the operational development consultant for the real estate um, portion of things. And um, and so one thing led to another. It was basically just you know like someone that one of my associate dentists made the introduction, and that's how I left the company. So, so, so it's kind of like, okay, you kind of fell into dentistry. Like most of us get kind of pulled into dentistry and then we fall in love with it and then we commit to it. And then we see all these things that could be better, you know, that, that we want to help fix. For you, it sounds like the startup process is fun for you. Like you really enjoy helping people that are, that are going to go that route, go the de novo route. Um, that is a challenge, in my opinion, one of the biggest challenges in dentistry, because most of the people who go to start their first practice have no idea what it takes. They have no, and it's not their fault. Yes. It's, it's not their fault. And even when I started my business, I had no idea what it was going to take. So 
tell me what are some of the the pain points or let's 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 put it this way um you have some pillars that you talk about pillars yes. that um for starting a successful dentist dental practice what's the first one so one of the first so the uh the first pillar of starting a successful practice is your site selection and planning and alignment uh, creating an alignment between your uh your site selection and the business model that you're going to implement so that is to me the most important thing i see so many dentists that and i think this is something that we we you know it, it's it's part of human nature we have an idea of what we want and a lot of times what i've seen is a lot of the dentists um fall in love with a location or there is an opportunity what it could be the real estate, it could be the lease, it could be so many different factors, but they end up going, uh, opening a, a location or starting a practice in a location and they don't shift and, and understand that they have to be flexible and adjust to the business needs. And so they come in with their predisposed, um, you know, model. Oh, yes. and, and, and there is just like, you have to create alignment and you need to be flexible in I've order for you to make happen. it happen. Mm -hmm. I saw this doctor who trained in um, LA and trained in Manhattan and then went to open a practice, not in LA or Manhattan, very different, very different market, but was dead set on this high end cosmetic specific type of practice because that's what she had seen from some of her mentors. And it, I mean, I can't tell you how many times she got the advice to pivot. Mm -hmm. It's not hitting in this community, pivot and, and didn't work. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of dentists, I, I mean, the, the, I say it this way and, and because of my experience as a mom, it's almost like, okay, I did all this research. I read all these books and I prepared myself to be a mom. And I had my, you know, you have your principles, you have your core values and things like that. But ultimately our children teach us how to parent them. You know, we, we, we take care of them, we nurture them, but we facilitate growth for them. And for a dentist that is opening their first practice, you have to understand the needs of the community. And first you add value to them. And then eventually, hopefully you're able to position yourself and, and then create that alignment between your, you know, business model and the community needs, but you cannot impose your business model onto a site that doesn't, that doesn't fit your, 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 your model. It's just not going to work out. Absolutely. So, so be flexible and make sure that you have alignment between your site selection, where you're at and your vision for the practice. And if you, you know, you may need to talk that through with someone who's done it before, because again, there's no replacement for experience. Tell me about the second pillar. So the second pillar is the people that you hire for your team and, um, and how, you know, the culture that you're creating. I find that um, from the first pillar, uh, you know, one of the things that I talk a lot of uh, with my doctors is your insurance selection and your negotiation efforts and then hiring a, a team that is able to, you know, um, basically create um, a, a culture where insurance is secondary to care, because very few practices have the luxury of opening and, and avoiding the, uh, you know, 
having to work with insurances and just be fee for service, which is the ideal model for anyone. But there is there's only so much, so many, so many zip codes in the country that can support a full fee for service, you know, business model in this era. So, you know, hiring a team that um, that supports your vision. And, and I always say, you put the mask on yourself first, you know, like you have to develop yourself first. Dentists fall into this vicious cycle where they leave their associate position to leave the, the, the practice. And I always ask them, don't you ever think about the, you know, your, your, your employer, that at some point in their career, when they were working for somebody else, they thought to themselves, you know, I could do a better job than this. I could be a better uh, employer. I could do better dentistry. I can manage an office better. I don't like this um, environment here. I'm going to start my own business because I want to make improvements and I want to make it better in my way. And here they come, they start their practices from scratch, but they haven't developed the skills that they need to develop themselves first to want to attract the right people yep. to make the right decisions as far as how the business model that they're going to implement. And next thing you know, they're yep. following the same exact vicious and, cycle from their former employer. Absolutely. And here's what's ha what happens. They go, well, when I'm a, when I'm the boss, I'm going to be friends with everybody. They drop those boundaries. That's what like, that's what human nature like gut is. We want to be connected to people. Mm -hmm. So we drop those boundaries. We make a bunch of friends, the mm -hmm. culture suffers and we repeat the things we were trying to fix. Exactly. Absolutely. And so really having those leadership skills in place is crucial. There's a book I always recommend. It's called the culture code by Daniel Coyle. I'm going to write this down. The culture code, the culture code, C O Y L E phenomenal book about culture. I got really, really super obsessed with culture a couple of years ago, just started reading any book that I could about how to create it, how, how people, you know, how people lose it. Another one of my favorite authors is Patrick Lencioni. Mm. And he writes, he wrote um, the five dysfunctions of a team, as well as several, several other awesome books. And, you know, if you're starting up a business, get reading, like mm -hmm. get start bringing in that information as much as you can. I used to think that culture was built by our working hours. So how short of a day can we have? And how much food can I put at the office? Like how many meals yes. can I provide to the team? And how many like, you know, hoorah team meetings can mm -hmm. I facilitate? And I used to think that was culture until I had a really horrible experience with a beyond toxic wow. employee. And I realized that culture is a sum accumulation of the people on your team. It's, it's attitudes, 100%. level of positivity, how the team works together. And it's making sure everyone has the same core values. And if you have just one person who mm. is off base, it Forget can crush it. the entire culture of an organization. It's so funny you mentioned that because I did have, and, and I got to tell you, um, I, 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 we joke around a lot because I have a group of um, team members that I had to terminate their employment while I was the office manager. And we're like family friends now afterwards. But while I was working and managing the office, I had this one particular employee. And again, she is, you know, we love her. She knows my family. We became really close friends after the fact. 
But the biggest lesson is when I, when, when I hired her, um, she had experience and she was someone that came in, interviewed very well. Um, and, and she was creating so much chaos with the team. I literally had moms of my employees call the office and they're like, Maritza, but what's going on with this one girl and, and so on and so forth. She would like slam the cabinet doors and luckily for me, and, and these are the things that, as you say, the culture, um, I, it was already like, I was already into the management for a couple of years now. And, um, one of the things that I used to do because I had clinical experience, whenever I would catch her having a conversation with the patients, I would say, Hey, listen, I want you to take the rest of the day off. So there were like several times that I asked her to leave the office. I would put the answering machine on and I would put on my gloves and sterilize the instruments and bring in the patients, take the x-rays, sit them in the chair, have the conversation with everyone. Why? Because I wanted to show my team that I respected them. And if they were being made feel long, and then she took it for granted that she could just, you know, run her mouth because she was experienced and because of, and I said, no, 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 this is not happening. See, that's here. what happens. That's what happens. Sometimes your most skilled employees are your most toxic. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to put attitude and core values above skill, above 100%. production, above what they can produce for you. You have to put that first. And one thing also that they, um, that they, you, but you know, like I had the clinical skills for me to do her job. And a lot of the dentists feel that, um, that they are going to hire other people. And I teach this to them all the time. You have the responsibility of knowing how everything gets done in your office. Even if you're going to delegate it, learn it first so that you can one, earn their respect and two, be able to do it in the case of an emergency, like the one that, you know, that happened to me a that's couple the, of times. That's the opposite of what a lot of dentists learn and are taught. There, a lot of people in dentistry echo this, this philosophy that the dentist should come in and only do dentistry. And, and obviously you want all of everyone operating at their highest and best use of their time. However, that doesn't mean that just because they know how to do what someone else on their team does that they're actually doing it. It just exactly. means they know it well enough to identify red flags. Exactly. And to hold people accountable. Exactly. Awesome. Sure. So having the right team in place, pillar number two. Um, pillar number three. Understanding your numbers. I mean, this oh. is, oh, I, I just did a live. Um, I'm starting to do a live on my Facebook page every Friday. And last week I spoke to um, about really understanding your numbers. And, um, and if you don't mind me just, you know, giving this brief example, because I feel that this is so crucial. I have spoken to dentists, um, who come to me and they've spent thousands of dollars with consultants. And I asked them, so, you know, what's your break-even number? How many patients do you need to see to cover your expenses? You know, what percentage are you allocating towards things? And they're like, I don't know. The only thing that they know is that they have a $50,000, you know, um, engagement with a consultant and that consultant, they can't even tell them, Hey, this is how you do it. So I'm going to give it to your audience. I mean, this is, this is absolutely, um, something very simple. And I'm just going to give you the three numbers that you need to know in order for you to know 
guide your team and, 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 and create that foundation because the numbers don't lie. A successful office is successful. I wonder because if they're my same three numbers. I, I don't know. Let's we'll, have we'll, it. We'll, okay, let's, let's have it. Okay. So the first set of numbers that you need to do is your total number of expenses. You need to understand how much is it costing you to start your practice on a month-to-month basis. So that's the first number. And I'm going to use and excuse. That's okay. It never fails. <laughs> Here they come. Um, mother life in, in quarantine times. <laughs> it's okay. We so can all first, relate. Yeah. So the first number, uh, as I said, it's just, I want every new dentist, even if it's a projection, to summarize their monthly expenses for, uh, you know, let's say $25,000. And this is your variable expenses, your fixed expenses, but you need to have an idea. Just give yourself an idea. And typically new dental office will be on average $25,000, just hypothetically speaking, to start off. So understand that you're starting off money coming out of your pocket, $25,000, whether you see a soul or not in your practice, right? So the second number that I want everyone to learn is um, your um, overly, uh, your hourly overhead expense. And the way that to calculate that, just, you know, like um, the formula to that is you're going to take the number of hours that you're going to be open for the month. I just want to repeat that. You sure. said hourly overhead expenses. Yes. Okay. okay so tell us how do we so, calculate that? So $25,000, we said it's, you know, hypothetically speaking, our uh, number of expenses, the costs of operating the office. Then we are open, let's say a startup opens 12 times a month, you know, so that's four, two times a week on average um, to start off until they build the practice. So let's just say they opened 284 hours for the month. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your $25,000, which is your monthly expenses, and you're going to divide it by the number of hours that you're going to be open for the month. And that could be 80 hours, 84 hours, you know, depending on how. So that's going to give you a number. And on this example, it's going to be, let's say, $270, hypothetically speaking. So that is how much is costing you. I want you to know how much is it costing you when you don't have patience and you are not using your time productively on the hourly basis in so your you need to You need to know what being open costs you and how you're running in the red so that you can plan appropriately, schedule appropriately, market appropriately. Exactly. When I talk to people and I say, what kind of patients do you want? What kind of services do you want to provide? And they kind of just like anything and everything. I'm always like, okay, we might need to get a little no. bit more um, strategic about what yes. we're doing. It's so. very strategic. You have to do a lot of strategic planning. So. So that's the second number, right? And then the third number is translate that into a number of patients that you need to see. And this is where the big question comes in. How many patients does a dentist need to see in order for them to break even? And this is what, um, what I did with my husband and my sister-in-law. They're kind of like budget directors for, you know, uh, uh, here in New York City. So I said, I want to come up with the formula to help me determine how many patients that my uh, my dentist needs to see on the day-to-day -day basis um, so that they can, again, schedule by production and understand how to lead the team and what the goal is for the month and have targets. Question, question. Yes. Do you build in the doctor's salary so that they're getting paid from day one? Yes, that is also some, one, of the, one of the allocations that you want to do. 
I don't know if you read this book. I started reading it and I started doing that myself. Profit, Profit first. first. Yeah. I've read it. I, I'm a book junkie. Like I am, I'm constantly reading and I'm, I'm yeah. all about Audible. I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about the whole book Profit First. Mm-hmm. I got a little bored with it. I felt like it, it could have been maybe 20 pages perfectly honest, but nothing mm-hmm. against the concept. I think is great. Did you I'm, watch, did you read, um, fix, fix this next? No, I haven't read that, that one. Yet. Is good. That one is pretty good. I'm like a book critic. Like you see these TV shows where people come into restaurants and they like can taste and refine. Yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah, like yeah. that with books. I read <laughs> books and I'm like, it could have been shorter. It could have been longer. Yeah. Yes, I'm, yes. I'm really annoying with, with that, but okay. So doctors, you've got to know how many patients do you need on average, and that's the easiest way to operate. How many patients mm-hmm. do I need to see this month based on my averages, based on my over, based on my overhead, my expenses, exactly. based on my hourly operational costs and how many hours I'm going to be open. This simple math is going to give you so much, so much peace of mind, because let's say you need 50 patients or a hundred patients or whatever it is. The day you hit 101, you, you're going to be so excited. You're going to feel exactly. And your team has, has, and your team has a sense of direction, which is, you know, ultimately one of the things, one of the bigger pitfalls for, for dentists, um, is, uh, you know, just one patient is good enough. No, 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 no. This is our target. And, and this is how we're going to get there, creating that, that action plan to get there and And structuring everything around it. That if they open the business, the patients will come and, they don't understand. We can actually market to patients. We can go out and make relationships with people. It's one of the pillars. It's one of the pillars. Oh. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. So the third so, number. Yeah. Um, tell me the next. Is it, oh, you had another number? So this is the number. This is, I'm going to give you guys the formula for those of you listening oh. um, for how to determine your, your uh, number of new patients that you need. So Every practice, 80% of patients, I mean, now things are changing a little bit because there's so many unemployed people and, uh, and the market is changing every day. But, um, you know, we know that, it, that the, there, 80% of the patient population in any given practice has some sort of dental coverage. And if you are accepting PPO insurances in your practice, what you want to do is to determine the number of patients that you need to see. You're going to um, figure out the the average co- production or collection of the top five insurances that are most relevant to your office. So this could be Aetna, Cigna, MetLife, what have you, right? Ideally, you would want to have done some market research to figure out where those patients are coming from, network with the companies or the corporations that, you know, uh, that provide that insurance to their employees. And, and you're going to create the average. And I've done this exercise and case studies with my clients and what we do is we figure out, okay, so if the average so this production. Is, this is average value of a new patient production over production, what period? Production. Over so, what period? So this is, I, I do this, this, this um, analysis pre-opening. So what I do is I take like the, the steps that I follow is we do the market research. We figure out what insurances are relevant. We give that information. But I mean, to you're doctors. not, you're not, you're not putting a lifetime value on a new patient. You're just talking no, about no, no, their no. first appointment. Exactly. So okay. we are going to, this is before a dentist starts uh, their office. And if you have data, because a lot of the analytical tools that are out there, they 
gather the data that you have and give you kind of, you know, best practices or, or projections based on what you have. But for a startup dentist, it's very difficult for you to make the projections unless you know for a fact what your expenses are and what your overhead expense hourly is going to be and then what you're going to be collecting and, and from the insurances or producing based on, 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 your, on your, you know, insurance selection or, you know, like uh, the first visit. So a, a patient typically gets done an evaluation, a set of x-rays, and sometimes a cleaning. So you take those procedure codes and you just say, okay. Can you give us a number? So for one of my clients, I, 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 I said it was like $259 on average. And that's including the, you know, insurances that don't negotiate, like the, your Delta Dental, which is kind of like the, you know, the Medicaid of PPOs nowadays. But, um, but you know. Wow, like, so that's take, changed. Yeah. It's, it's changed, it's, hasn't it? Yes, a lot. So, so you take that $259 and you, you reverse engineer it. You take your overhead and you divide it by your new patient, um, you know, predicted what they're going to bring in. And then you get a clean number of new patients, right? Yes. So then if you're open 12 days a week, uh, a month, I'm sorry, 12 <laughs> no! times a month, 12, 12 times a month, two times a week, then, you know, it could be 50 patients for the first month for you to break even. And then you have that ratio of like, uh, you know, like uh, 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 profit. So anything after that is going to be the icing on the cake. Um, and then, you know, like the margin as you, your variables will increase as you get more, more momentum going and you, but it's all relevant to the income. So understanding these numbers is crucial for a dental office to start off just, on the right foot and be I successful. think it's, I think it's the formula that helps you sleep at night. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Sure. I think it's, it's the formula that helps you sleep because then on any given day, you can kind of know how you're doing. So talk to me about this next, what are we on the fourth pillar? Yes. Yeah, so that is the training and development of yourself and your team. And we spoke about leadership and we spoke what? about, yes. And we spoke about your ability to, um, to take your team and basically inspire them to develop themselves. You're into books. One of the things that I do myself is, and I did with my team in the offices, I was always reading books. I was always doing things, introducing them to um, authors and, 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 you know, YouTube videos and whatnot, because I feel that I have a responsibility to myself to always be improving my skills. And I, and every time it's like, when you go to a really great restaurant and you eat a really nice meal, you want your loved ones to enjoy, you know, like, even if you don't have the same taste, taste buds, but you kind of want to share. Oh, you're so, you're one of those. So you're like my cousin, Katie, she goes, (laughs) Here, no, you have to try this. You have to try this right now. So you're like, you're like a food evangelist, right? Yeah. Like you're like spreading the word about you got to take a bite. Yes. And, yes. and so you take that energy to your team and you talk to them about, you got to read this book. You've got to learn this concept. You get them excited about that. How does that work? I don't have a lot of luck with that. I'll be honest with you. Um, so the thing <laughs> is, one of the things that I've noticed, and, and, and this is very interesting, I have an interview with someone on, on, Thursday, on Tuesday next week for I'm expanding my, my, my team. And, um, and this is very interesting because I came into this office many years ago and I did some work for the office. And, and the office manager reached out to me a couple of months, you know, like years later. 
And she said, you know, like I started following you and I'm like literally looking sideways and I'm like, follow me where? You know, like I'm like an old soul when it comes to the social media. Stuff. And then now she's available, she's working. And, um, and it's almost like she was inspired by me and now she wants to be part of the, part of the company. Oh, and so, I get that a lot. And so what, for me, it has been being that person that was always, you know, working harder on myself than I did at my job. And then it, it, you pass it down. You may not think that they're watching, but they are watching. Mm. And, um, and, so, and so for me to be able to train someone, it's almost like I want to show them what's in it for them. And as a result, the patients will benefit. The office will benefit. So it's almost like whenever I'm training someone, I, they're my project. And yes, I teach you the skills, but I also, I also want you to look at, you know, where I come from and where I, and how much I've been able to accomplish and that you have more, even more potential. So, so this is a lot like servant leadership. This is, you're, you're meeting people and you're saying, how, how can this business serve you? What can you get out of this? What's, what's going to be in it for you? And, and having those individual relationships and really nurturing personal and professional growth definitely, in a way where people are okay saying, well, how can I get to that next step? Or maybe mm-hmm. I can go to this course and learn this thing. So fostering that through those, those regular conversations yes. is what I hear you saying. Yes. Um, I love that. And I think it's important to hire people that, that demonstrate an interest in learning and growing and finding a way to work that into even your recruiting process. Yes. And asking those right questions. Is this going to be someone who quickly becomes complacent and wants to do the bare minimum? Or is this someone, someone who's always going to want to grow? Very important. Very important. And then tell me about this fifth pillar. That it's marketing. Marketing is one of those things that <laughs> we all feel. And you said it earlier that a lot of dentists, we and, and businesses, and I and I'm not going to exclude myself, is like we know that we are good and we're offering value and and we stand for what we do and and you know, not the like I read something earlier. It's not always the case that the best products or services. Um, are are the ones making the money. The money doesn't follow the people that have the best product or service. A lot of times it follows the attention. And so we feel, and I feel like, like dentists in general and myself included as, as a business owner that we take for granted that people will discover us and people will one day understand how much value we can bring to them. And we fail to, to just basically let ourselves be known and so, you know, like marketing, and this is, this, is, this is where you come in that I think it's so important and so crucial that a lot of dentists um, don't have a plan. They don't have a mission vision. They don't understand, you know, how they're going to organize their thinking and, um, and attract more patients and build a brand. I think that people are confused between, they think marketing is advertising, you know, like going into Facebook, posting an ad, or, or, or doing a flyer or a mailer and this and that. Marketing starts they don't, with you. They don't and, understand it. Yeah. They don't. And I'm sorry to cut you off. It's just you're like speaking this to my soul. You. Yes. You're speaking to my soul right now. <laughs> I, I just, I see it a lot. I see it, you know, I did this marketing campaign with this company and it didn't work out. And I'm like, okay, well, what was the focus of the ads? Well, I don't know. I never saw the ads. 
well, how much of your budget went to the ad spend? Well, I don't know. It was never detailed. It was, I, I, I paid one flat amount and I just don't really know what I got out of it. It's mind boggling to me how many like marketing companies get by without educating their clients as to what, what we're doing for them. How are we, what brand are we building? Like the branding, your brand is your reputation. Exactly. Marketing is your reputation and you build a reputation from your social media even, or, or your profile pictures and everything. It's, it's marketing is everything that you do. And, and the funny thing is you don't have to do everything. That's another thing people need to hear. I'm so sick of people feeling pressured to doing these Facebook ads or these, you know, whatever it is, print, Google, whatever. You don't have to do everything. You have to reverse, just like Maritza, you talked about reverse engineering the number of new patients that you need. You start with your overhead and then you reverse engineer that to a clean number. With your marketing, you reverse engineer it as well. Now you take that number and then you look at the different methods and what it typically costs to attract a patient Got that it. fits your profile. And you can even skew that number. You can have your new patient um, number go up. So you need fewer mm-hmm. new patients if you target certain you know, services. And wow. so there's, there are ways to mm-hmm. really leverage the marketing to support your overall goals here. Um, but if you build it, you've got to do more than just build it. You've got to do yes. more than kick open your doors and put out a welcome sign, without a doubt. So you have helped how many startups now? I've, I've lost track. I mean, since I left the company, I would say, um, I don't know, hundreds, I would say, you know, like in some way, shape or form. I've helped many, many practices since I left the company. I left the company in 2016. I worked for roughly a, a year with, uh, with the consulting um, company. Um, and, um, and ever since I've been blessed to have worked primarily from, you know, uh, uh, referrals here and there, but, um, but I felt I, I, I actually have to go back and look, but it's been, it's been a been pretty a good number. Yeah. <laughs> so to anyone out there who is, let's say they're starting up they're thinking about starting up or they want to develop a DSO and they want to start up their second location from scratch and maybe their first location, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't do a de novo. So this is something new for them. How can they get in touch with you to learn about how you might be able to help them? So I have my website, it's MDEN Consulting Services and um, I could be emailed. You guys can reach out to me anytime. It's maritza at mdencs.com. And uh, we have a strategy session. I mean, it's all the time. I'm always giving free uh, advice. And I just basically, I had a strategy session with a doctor and I was like, she just found, you know, like a 30% increase on on, on some numbers in her office just by like a couple of questions and strategic planning. It's so crucial, but yeah. So schedule a, a strategy session with me so that I can help you, especially during this economy, come up with a game plan to help your practice um, either start off if you haven't started your practice yet. But if you're uh, struggling at any point and your vision is to expand, to grow and, 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 and open multiple offices, whatever the case may be, reach out to me and I'll be more than happy to share everything that I've learned over the years. Awesome. Well, Maritza, thank you so much for being on the show. And for those of you watching, 
Um, thank you for, for listening, for tuning in. Um, it's again, we're changing our Facebook group. The name is not going to be dental marketing with grace. It's going to be dentistry's growing with grace because we talk about so much more than marketing. Um, tune back in, please subscribe. And if you or someone, you know, would like to be a, a guest on the show or would like to learn more about me and what I do, I can be reached at grace at identitydental.com. Thank you all for tuning in and Marissa, thanks again. Thank you for having me, Grace. My pleasure.